Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.59am, Sunday night slash Monday morning. I made it before 1am. Props to me. Anyway, I hope you're doing awesome. Uh, We have a really cool message uh, in this podcast. It is a co-preached message by Hannah and James based off of a book that they're reading together. And I think that you were going to love it. It was really a cool moment. And um, I'm really thankful that they tried something interesting and different and new. And so way to go, you two. Uh, A couple things before we jump into the message. I just wanted to let you know uh, this week we are starting our creative writing small group. If you want to jump in, it is virtual only. Uh, Go to diff.church and you can sign up there. It's going to be super awesome. Uh, A couple of housekeeping things for church. If you attend in person, we do not have church on Christmas Day. Instead, we are having church the day before Christmas Eve, but not at night. It's uh, a morning service, so it's going to be on Saturday at 1030, normal church time. We would love to see you there. We've got some cool Christmas songs planned. It's going to be really cool. All right. Let's hear from James and Hannah. We have something special today. Obviously, James is here. This is our, yes, clap for James. We're going to do something interesting today called, the fancy church word for this is co-preaching. Um, but we're not going to be talking at the same time. I don't want you to panic, okay? There is an order. We're not going to get all Pentecostal, okay? But actually, James and I have been reading a book together by Rachel Held Evans called Wholehearted Faith, and it is a book that she mostly wrote right before she died, um, and then it was finished by a dear friend of hers and like released into the world. So we both read that. And this is kind of like our take on some parts of that book. So I'm going to start because I'm great. No one left. It's a good start. Good start. Good start, you guys. (laughs) In the beginning, there was, well, who knows? (laughs) No one actually knows what happened in the beginning. But we're told of Adam and Eve and the choices they made affecting all humans for all time, forever. And evangelical Christianity has tied itself to this doctrine like inextricably that humans are wrong and bad and sinful and we will forever be this way, okay? I have a really hard time landing there. I can't find myself there. I can't find my faith there just balancing on like a tightrope of grace above an endless canyon called death and sin. And, like, have you ever wondered that? Like, does grace really exist on the edge of a cliff? Neither Judaism nor Eastern Christianity has ever held to the doctrine of original sin. Not ever in the history of their religions. Jews and Orthodox Christians do not believe that the choice of Adam and Eve permanently altered the nature of all human beings for all time forever. So let's do a reframe of the Eden story. They chose to eat the fruit, and immediately after rejecting God's direction not to, they sense something is wrong. They're naked, they're like suddenly ashamed of it. They're embarrassed and guilty in their carefree life. Suddenly it gives way to all this anxiety and uncertainty about everything. But rather than turn away from Adam and Eve as they scramble to like find some kind of leaf clothing to cover their bodies, God moves towards them. God seeks them out. God calls to them. God finds them where they are hiding. 
it is not a story about how humans lost their worth. It is a story about how humans lost their innocence. It is not a story about how God looks away from creation, can't even bear to look at us. It's a story about how God and God's relentless, never give up love moves towards creation while still giving humans the freedom to make choices and test boundaries and wreak havoc (laughs) and grow up. At the beginning of the beginning, before Adam and Eve did anything right and before they did anything wrong, God looked at them and said that they were good. Inside and out. God's own precious children. And then they made their human choices and they lost their innocence before it was time. But nothing changed in the way that God looked at them. Their worthiness was never based on their actions anyways. It was based on God's love. I have heard this phrase sometimes growing up from like well-meaning Christians. I wonder if you've heard it. Like, you have to be careful not to sin. You don't want to let God down. It's always bothered me. We are incapable of letting God down. We don't hold God up. God holds us, right? Before we do anything wrong and before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as God's own, valuable and worthy of love. And what is it that we're believing in? It's that. It's that. It's the idea that before the beginning of time, God was actually delighted in creation, in you. And things have changed, and God is still delighted. In all of our uncertainty, in our rage, in our anxiety, and our aggression, and our sweaty, damp, certainly today, the humidity, (laughs) greasy, sometimes bloated bodies, our endless emotions and our frustration with having endless emotions, and our sometimes cracked, hearts. God's delighted in all of that. And there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. Broken heart is like vulnerable and open and sensitive to our own suffering and the suffering of other people. And it's a continual opportunity for connection and belief and growth. And growth is what we aim for. Growth is what we're trying to do, right? And we're like, no, it's uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Everything aches as it changes. Everything. All the innocence that was lost years ago gives way to wisdom. The cracks don't always need to be healed. The cracks are where the light gets in. I have days that I find it hard to believe, or even to try to believe. The heaviness in trying to find my faith can even take over my words, stunting my want to pray. Days like this past week, when the added violence against my LGBTQ siblings. I can't find the words to pray, to explain, to even hear. I try to regain my faith, and sometimes all I can feel left with is the questions and doubt. I try to remind myself that this God stuff is messy, complicated at best. And even when I'm full in, yes, to all around me, even when I have days where I wonder if my questioning, my doubt, will move me, will move the needle in a different direction. I wonder if my questions will cause my faith to sway towards a path that is different than the one I'm on. 
many of us were told, brought up, shown, to go all in on our faith while checking part of ourselves at the door. Our voices. We may have been told that our faith precludes our doubts, our politics, our degree, our cultural heritage, our diagnosis, our sexuality, our intellectual integrity, our intuition, our uncertainty, our sadness, and even our joy. Isn't faith the assurance that of things hoped for? The conviction of things not seen? Teaching us to take risks. To get uncomfortable at times and being uncomfortable is not fun. So we take risks. We step into a community. We become part of a tribe. We show up raw at times, hoping, open, waiting. When I find myself most connected with my faith and with others is when I do dare to take that risk, to show my inner self, my beliefs, my hard moments. And so here goes. I'm a recovering addict. I'm an ex-gang member. I'm a sexual assault survivor. I'm a queer person of faith, and that has brought and sometimes still brings many hard days. Days living in the margins of the world with many moments filled with doubt, insecurity, and shame. Bringing my whole self to the table can be hard. And in those seconds, those days, those weeks, that I believe my faith feels the strongest is when I'm surrounded by people, community, my tribe. Because being surrounded by my community brings common understanding and a knowledge that I am not alone. To live in love like this in community, to live in love in holy danger. Sometimes we can see love as a construction material for spiritual cloisters, safe spaces of our hearts, for our hearts, for our souls, for our egos. But in fact, isn't it the opposite? Love tears down these walls. Perhaps the better story to tell ourselves is that the struggle towards love is worth it. It moves out of our us out of our fragmentation, speaking today, that has marked so many of our lives. And it compels us toward wholeness for which God made us and that God embodies. Doesn't it mean I'm not still scared? Does it mean that I still am worried about showing my full self? I wonder if I will indeed be loved, accepted in a community with my scars, my wounded soul at times, my questions, my lack of, of certainty, or the opposite of times, my full certainty that God is in my life and that my life of faith and living faithfully is what keeps me sometimes on the sidelines. There are days when I believe. Then there's the other days, the days James spoke of. 
the very human days where my heart is fickle and my faith is fragile and the church, <laughs> the church is nothing but a broken and complicated institution full of broken and complicated people who are derailed by questions, devastated by doubts, and worried about their institution dying. But belief doesn't mean that I adhere to or believe in every single word or practice or community. It means I want to believe. It means that I find it worth it to put myself at risk of being hurt by this broken and complicated institution that we call Christianity, made up of the complicated people we call Christians. It means that I find questions as sacred as answers. Questions uh, only threaten people who have something to lose. Power, prestige, control, money. I've always been bothered by the argument that like if we're wondering and wandering that like this somehow sends us down the proverbial slippery slope. Just like if you hold hands with someone that automatically means you're fornicating. That's what I was told as a child. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's anatomy, but okay. <laughs> Where is God in that equation? Okay, I am tired of that argument. Where is our, what happened to our trust in the God who promises over and over and over in the scripture that Christians cling so tightly to a sure path forward for people who are seeking the truth? Is the church dying? Maybe. Maybe. But death is something empires worry about, not resurrection people. And on the days when I believe, I am not worried about death. I am not worried about the death of the Christian empire, and I am not worried about the death of my own precious life. On the days when I believe, grace is not something that's just written about in dusty old King James English. It is the baseline in an orchestra piece that is so powerful that everything is swept up and enveloped in the emotion and the creativity and the hope. On the days when I believe, I feel enfolded in a story so much greater than my own. It's a story that weaves together a thousand generations of saints, regular, ordinary, offensively normal people, just like you and me, who wrestle with their questions and doubts, who interrogate the systems and the structures of the society around them, who search for a way to make sense of it all, and who wonder if they really belong and if anyone really loves them especially God. On the days when I believe, prayer feels like it's just another beautiful beat in a long-running conversation with a partner who loves me unconditionally. Nothing's withheld or kept back or hidden. Everything finds its place. All the tears and all the hallelujahs. On the days when I believe, I'm convinced it is all heard that it matters, that there's purpose, that my faintest whisper is heard by an attentive God who not only loves me, but whom I love. Not because I'm obligated to, but because loving God gives color and healing to every part of my life. Even the hurty, angry, dingy, gray parts <laughs> that I would rather keep hidden. Even those parts can't help but grow and flower in the presence of grace. On the days when I believe, 
wholehearted faith seems attainable. Not as a destination or a project that I can complete and get an A on, but as a living, breathing, resurrection thing that puts new life into everything it touches. So what is wholehearted faith? We are not alone in our risk or in our visibility or our vulnerability. When God goes all in on us and for us, there's risk and vulnerability for God too. We don't like to think of God as vulnerable. I mean, if he's vulnerable, how am I to be faithful? We prefer the depiction of God being strong and in control and decisive. But God's vulnerability is not a kryptonite that serves to weaken the divine. It is beauty. It is solidarity. It is strength. And even if God promises never to walk away, we can. We have. I know I have. Over and over. And yet God is with us, plain old us, in our fears, our pain, and God invites us to take the risk of love, even though it undoubtedly opens us up to the possibility of hurt, being scared, feeling disappointed. We are not alone on this journey. I'm not alone. You're not alone. I'm still evolving. You're still evolving. Still wrestling, still shifting, still examining, sometimes showing up half-heartedly is all we can muster. And in those days, I wonder for myself, for others, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of my heart, of your heart, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends, your community, your loved ones, the words of Jesus. The light shows through from our hearts, even on the days when the darkness intrudes. It does not diminish that light. Our yes to this faith business is complicated at best. Complicated. Some days we are tired and discouraged, overwhelmed by all the beauty and evil of this world. There are seasons when we hold our faith, and there are seasons when our faith holds us. And in those instances, the latter ones, I am more thankful for the people around me, in the communities I run with, whose faith sustains me and each other, even when I'm not sure. Wholehearted faith isn't just about coming to terms with the heart inside of us. It is also about understanding how God has knitted together my heart with other hearts, mine with Hannah's, Hannah's with Nova's, mine with my best friend, to the person standing on the corner, and to all of you. Wholehearted faith means we can be doubtful and still find rest in the tender embraces of God who isn't threatened by human inconsistency. Wholeheartedness means that we can be bold in our questions, knowing that God loves us, not just in, the spite, in spite of them, but because of those questions, because of the searching, 
seeking to know that God loves us deeply. Wholeheartedness means we can approach the throne of grace in the confidence of that God who made us, the God who accompanies us. Brene Brown says, wholehearted living, a posture of resilience and compassion that begins with the conviction that, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid. But that doesn't change the truth, the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. Wholehearted is about seeing, being part of, of a family of faith. It does involve risk, and that may include hurt, but it also opens us up for healing to the hope of being touched by grace and for the sake of that thing that so many of us seek, belonging.